you've got a Bible with you this morning, open with me once again to the book of Colossians chapter 2. We are in a series that we began several weeks ago that we're calling Established in the Faith. And we see those words here in the book of Colossians chapter 2. Let's look at it again together. Beginning in verse 6, the Bible says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Verse 7, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. One more time, just look at it with me. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be walking in him. As you've received him, that's how you walk in him. And let me say it to you like that. Let me read it to you like that. As you have received him, so walk in him. Maybe you could say it like this. The same way you received him is the way that you walk in him. And receiving Jesus, like we've already said so many times before, (laughs) there is no better choice. There is no greater decision. There is no other decision that affects your life, not just on this earth, but your life in and for eternity. That is the greatest thing any man or woman could ever do for their eternal future and security is to receive Christ Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father. I said there is no other way to the Father. Jesus is the only way. And when you've received him, you have secured that way to the Father. And that is such a marvelous thing. It's such a miraculous thing. It's such a transformative thing. I don't even know that we know how to accurately frame it with words what all happened to you when you received Christ Jesus. But that was just the beginning. It wasn't the end. It was just the beginning. It was the beginning of your walk with him, your walk in him. As you have received him, now what? Walk in him. So let me say it to you again like this. The way that you received him is the way that you walk in him. Actually, I think I'd like to say it like this. The way that you received him is the way you walk with him. With him. To walk in him is to walk with him. That's about fellowship. That's about friendship. The same way you received him is the way you walk with him. And if you keep walking with him, what ends up happening? Verse 7, you end up rooted. You end up built up in him and established in the faith. And like I mentioned to you last week, that is our vision for you as the family of this church. He goes on to say here, it's as you have been taught. This rooting, this building up, this establishing of you in your faith is directly connected to the word you're being taught. And this is what we tell people who are, who are trying churches, looking for a church, people who come here, people who go other places. The big thing is you need to get to a place where you are being taught the word, the uncompromised word of faith. Because the word you're hearing has everything to do with whether or not you end up rooted, built up, and established. So find where God has anointed the word for you. And when you find that place, man, get into it. It's like Sarah said to us last week. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish. Not those who are bouncing around. Not those who are trying it out. Not those who come when it's convenient. Those who are planted. That's when flourishing starts. As you've received him, 
Walk in him. Why? Because the more you walk in him, the more you walk with him, the deeper your roots go, the stronger you get built up, the more you become established in the faith, and the more what you're being taught is working in your life. The quality of life that you live is largely dependent upon the quality of the word that you hear. Amen. So a brief recap of where we've been. We started several weeks ago in part one. We talked about the path that leads to life. Because when he talks to us about being established, one of the things that's in reference to is the path that we're on. To be established on a particular course in this life. And one of the things that you see from the word of God is that there really only are two paths that a person can find themselves on. There is a path. The scripture said that seems right, but the end thereof is death. In other words, if you pick the path in life based on what you see, based on what you feel, based on your own natural research, based on watching somebody else and, oh, look, man, they made a million bucks doing that. I'm going to do that. All of that is a path that seems right. But be careful because there's a path that seems right, but it ends in destruction it ends in death. On the other hand, the psalmist said to the Lord, show me, you show me the path to life. So these are the only two roads. Don't be confused. You are on one of two roads in this life, either the path to death or the path to life. And like we've already said, just based on street names, which one you want to be on? Huh? Death drive, life lane, which... Which street you want to live on? Jesus himself talked about it. He said that wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many are they who find it. He said, but narrow is the gate and hard is the road that leads to life. And there are few that find it. And I think people have misunderstood what he meant when he said it's hard. When he said, when he used that word hard, it's the same word in the, in the New Testament translated trouble. It's the same, the same idea that goes along with persecution and pressure. So when he said it's a hard road to walk, he's, he's referring to the pressure that you experience on that road, the pressure to get you off that road and back onto this big, wide, broad one that leads to death. How many roads are there in this life? How many paths? Just two. And we started by asking ourselves how to get on this path that leads to life. And it's just the mercy of the Lord. It's the mercy of the Lord. You used to walk the course of this world, but God, who is rich in mercy, he rescued you off that path when you repented, when you made Jesus the Lord, when you received him, like we said, mercy went to work took you off the path that leads to death, put you on the path that leads to life. Praise the Lord. How do you get on that path? Mercy, mercy, mercy. Well, what happens if you get off the path? What do you need? Mercy, mercy, mercy. I'm telling you, repentance is a gift. It's the way back on to the right path, the path that leads to life. We also talked about in the Part two of this series, the significance of acknowledging him. Somebody say acknowledging him. This is how we get our steps directed by God. He said, if you would trust in the Lord with how much of your heart? All of it. 
all your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but would acknowledge him in all your ways, he will direct your steps. How do you get your steps directed? Acknowledge God. And whatever degree to which you are willing to acknowledge him, that's the degree to which he is able to direct your steps. So if you're not acknowledging him at all, how many of your steps is he directing? None. No acknowledgement, no direction. You're willing to acknowledge him in a couple areas in your life? How much and how many of your steps is he able to direct? One or two places in your life. But if you're willing to go all the way, Come on, I'm looking at some people this morning I believe are willing to go all the way. All the way with him. To do all that he's called you to do. To be all that he's called you to be. Amen? Well, that's going to require you to acknowledge him in all your ways. And if you'll do that, how many areas of your life does God direct your steps in? All of them. All of them. If you're willing to acknowledge him in relationships. He'll direct your steps in relationships. If you're willing to acknowledge him on the job, he'll direct your steps on the job. If you're willing to acknowledge him in your home on a regular basis, wake up acknowledging him, go to bed acknowledging him, and your kids know you acknowledge him because you do it all day long. Guess what he's able to do? He's able to direct the steps that you take as a family. What about in your finances? It's true, though. There are people that are willing to acknowledge God in a bunch of different areas of their lives. But this financial thing, I heard one pastor say it. He said, I think some people, when they got baptized, they held their wallet above the water. (laughs) And if you're not willing to acknowledge him in the financial arena of your life, but you do it in all these other areas, okay, fine. He'll direct your steps in relationships. He'll direct your steps on the job. He'll direct your steps at home, but he will not have access to your money until you start acknowledging him with it. And then he can direct every financial step you take. This is good preaching. Last week, we talked about digging deep. You remember this? Building your house upon the foundation of a solid rock. How do we dig deep? We do it by becoming doers of the word and not just hearers only. I want to take time to go back through all that. If you missed any of it, these messages are available to you for free on the website, our YouTube channel, our podcast. Get a hold of these things and then go over them again. But let's move on in this today uh, into part four of this. And, And let me just remind you of something I said just a moment ago. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, now what? Walk in him. As you received him, so walk in him. The way you received him is the way you walk in him. So many people have so needlessly overcomplicated this stuff. Getting born again, as as big a decision, as life-changing, destiny-altering, eternity-altering decision as that is, it's still so simple. I mean, God has made this so easy. He didn't require you to jump through any hoops. He didn't require you to check any boxes. There wasn't even any paperwork. That's awesome. I mean, it's harder to buy a house than it is to give your heart to the Lord. No paperwork. I love that. 
It's easy. It's easy. So why do we think that walking is supposed to be complicated? Why do we think that walking in him and walking with him is supposed to be so complex and so complicated? It's so easy to receive him and yet so hard to walk with him? That doesn't make sense. I mean, think about that. There's so many millions of Christians that believe that way and live that way. They know how easy it is to be born again. Oh, but this Christian life, my dear brother, my sister, it's a hard life. It's a hard road to hoe. Oh, there's many, many challenges. And What's that called if, if, if you make it easy to get into a place but impossible to, to be in it? That's called a trap. That's called a trap. People lure animals into a trap. It was so easy. Oh, look here. Just a little something to eat. Come on in. Slam. Trap. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> Christianity is not a trap. Walking with him is not a trap. God has not said, oh, look, it's so easy to be born again. Come on in. Door slam. You're mine now. <laughs> God has no evil, maniacal laugh. It was easy to get in, and it's a joy to walk with him. It's a joy to, to fellowship. As you received him, so walk in him. The way you received him is the way you walk in him. This is how you get your course, your life, the path you're on established. Look at something else here. I, I've got several verses for you today, so we won't take time to turn to all of them. But put this on the screen for us, guys. Job chapter 22, verse 28. Job twenty-two, twenty-eight. What does it say? It says, you will declare a thing. Other translations say, you'll decree a thing. And it will be what? Established for you. So light will shine on your ways. Or you could say on your path. The path of the just is like the shining light. Isn't that what Proverbs 4 says? It gets brighter and brighter. But what did he say? You, you, he's talking to you. You will declare a thing and it will be established. And it's going to light up your path. Let me ask you this. Do your words have anything to do with the direction your life is going in? They do. In a big way. He said you will declare a thing. You will decree a thing. This is not God declaring something. This is not God decreeing something. This is you saying it. You say it and the result is establishing. You declare a thing and it will be established. God's given you a lot of authority in your own life. Given you a lot of power. In your own life. Do the words coming out of your mouth. Have anything to do. With the direction your life is headed in. Oh they do. The book of Proverbs. Chapter 18. You know this one. Death and life are where? In the power of whose tongue? Yours. Mine. What are the two roads anybody can find themselves on in life? The road that leads to death. 
the road that leads to life. And what did he say? Death and life. Which road you end up on is in the power of your tongue. Do your words have anything to do with the path you're on in this life? Oh, baby. Do they? Oh, man. Your words. You declare it, it'll be established. This was a big deal in my house growing up. Growing up as a kid in the house that I grew up in, this was one of the big things, man. This was one of the things that made my house my house. It was a big deal. We watched our words. Let me say it like this. Mom and dad watched my words. And there was just some things we didn't say. Hmm? I don't know if you grew up in a house like that or are familiar with what I'm talking about, but, but there was just some things growing up in that house that we did not say. We didn't talk about what we couldn't do. We didn't talk about what we didn't have, what we didn't know. We didn't say all that. We certainly didn't say a bunch of things about being so sick of this or my joints are killing me or I'm dying to do that. We didn't, man, that's cussing in the house I grew up in. As a matter of fact, I think you probably could have gotten more trouble for some of those words than for some cuss words because that stuff is just stuff we didn't talk about. It's things we didn't let come out of our mouths. And all of that, that may sound funny to you, but Jesus himself said in the book of Mark chapter 11 that uh, if you would say to this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and not doubt in your heart, but believe those things which you said will come to pass, you will have whatever you say. And I'm surprised I don't have a tattoo of that verse on my chest to this day because that was such a big deal in my house. Romans chapter four, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that be not as though they are. That's the way we lived. So it wasn't about talking about how you feel. It wasn't about talking about what you have or don't have. It was like, come on, Jeremy, don't say what you have, say what you want. Don't say what you feel, say what you believe. This is a different way of living. And there was a big time revelation growing up in this house that your words, my words are determining the course of action that my life will follow. The path that I end up on in this life is in large part directed by the words coming out of my mouth. Do your words have anything to do with the direction your life is on? They do. And do you know there is much of the body of Christ that will absolutely fight you tooth and nail on this right here? They will fight this. Oh, you just, those confess it and possess it, blab it and grab it. Bunch of pre people preaching this stuff. Ah, oh, there's nothing to that. There's no truth to that. Careful who you call a liar. Because Jesus said, Kenneth Hagin did not write Mark 11, 23 and 24. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland did not write Mark 11, 23, 24. No other Kenneth, for that matter, wrote Mark 11, 23 and 24. Jesus said, come on, church, help me out. Jesus said, what did he say? You can have what you say. You can have what you say. You can have what you say. But to people who challenge this and want to argue with it, my response is simple. If there's no power in our confession, then we're all going to hell. 
I can prove that to you. Go to the book of Romans with me, chapter 10. Do our words direct our lives? Yes, they do. Romans chapter 10. Let me read several verses to you here. Just begin in verse 1. He said, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, listen to these words, and seeking to establish their own righteousness. What are we talking about? Being established in faith. He said, look at it again. They're ignorant of God's righteousness. Verse 3, seeking to establish their own righteousness. Have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. But, verse 6, the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith. Just listen to those words. The righteousness of faith. Faith in what? Faith in God. Faith in Jesus. Faith in his word. This is not establishing your own righteousness. This is the righteousness of God, which is the righteousness that comes by faith. See, we're back to Colossians 2, 6. As you have received him. Because when you received him, that's when you became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you did that through faith. Remember how simple God made it? That's the thing with the law. The righteousness according to the law, it was complex. It was burdensome. It was hard. There was paperwork. But the righteousness of faith is simple. And this is not establishing your own righteousness. This is submitting to his righteousness. And he said here in verse 6. Listen to this is about the righteousness of faith. Verse 6. The righteousness of faith. What's that next word? Speaks. The righteousness of faith. Speaks. The righteousness of faith. Says something. There is a, a vocalization. That comes along with the righteousness of faith. The righteousness of faith, he says, speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? What does the righteousness of faith say? The word is near you. Where? In your mouth and in your heart. And that is the word of faith, he said, which we preach. The word of faith, which we preach. What is the word of faith? The word of faith is the recognition, the revelation, that the word is in my mouth and it's in my heart. Now, I read all this to you because what Paul was doing here by the Spirit of God, he was actually going back to the Old Testament, and I do mean old. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And, and he's quoting Moses in that chapter when, when Moses said to the people, you remember this verse, I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day. I have set before you, who remembers? Life, death. This road, that road. But what did he say? Choose life. 
I love all those verses when you go back and look at it because literally what he said to them, look this up. It's Deuteronomy 30, I think around verse 15 or so. He said, this is not too mysterious. Don't you like that? This is simple. This is not complex. This is not too mysterious for you. He said, this is not far from you. He said, don't say who's going to go to heaven and bring this back for us. Don't say who's going to dive to the deepest depths to find this for us. Don't say who's going to cross the ocean and climb a mountain for us. This is, it's not so far away. It's not so far away. See, other, other religions and even people with the wrong mentality about Christianity is too complicated. Other religions might send you up to the peak of the highest mountain in this remote part of the planet and there's a 400-year-old bald man sitting there who you get to ask him three questions about the meaning of life and this is hard stuff. Don't you dare get up there and be like, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. What's Moses saying? This is not mysterious. He said it's not far from you. Where is it? It's actually in your heart and it's in your mouth. The answer, the word, it's not far from you. Somebody say, it's not far from me. This is not mysterious, hard, complex, complicated. It's in your mouth. And this is the word of faith. What is the word of faith? Chapter 10, verse 9. That if you confess. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus. And believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. Simple. How? How did you receive him? Because whatever way, whatever method by which you received him, what else do you know? That's how you're going to have to walk with him. That's how you walk with him. That's how you walk in him. So how did you receive him? You said something. Don't tell me this confession stuff doesn't work. Do not tell me that we do not possess what we confess. If we don't possess what we confess, then I don't possess Jesus as my Lord. And if this confession stuff doesn't work, I'm not saved and you're not saved. You better hope this confession stuff works. What is the word of faith that's right there in your heart and right there in your mouth? If you confess. With your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth. What does the righteousness of faith do? It speaks. It says something. And what does it say? It confesses that Jesus is their Lord, and that confession is made unto salvation. The way that you received him is the way you walk with him. If you received him by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth, how do you walk with him? Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth. See, it's the same simplicity with which you received him is the simplicity with which we walk with him. Now there's been, I don't want to say a misunderstanding, but maybe a, a shallow understanding an incomplete understanding of what this meant to confess the Lord Jesus. Go to the book of Luke with me, chapter 12.
In Luke chapter 12, we read the words of Jesus. And he said in verse 8, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me. Does your confession have anything to do with the road you're walking in this life? Yes. Whoever confesses me before men. Make note of those words. Whoever confesses me before men. Him, the Son of Man, also will confess before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Now, our understanding of what it means to confess Jesus, or really to confess anything. I told you I grew up in a house where we made a big deal out of our confession. And, and now Sarah and I are parents in a house where we make a big deal out of confession. This is why we printed this thing for your children, for your family. This is that who am I card that we want every one of you to have. If you don't have it, it's online. We can get one for you. But it's a list of I, I don't know how many confessions based in the word of God about who you are according to the word. I am his and he is mine. I am adopted in the beloved. I am valuable. I was bought with a price. I am chosen chosen by God. I'm holy. I'm blameless before him in love. I'm God's handiwork. I'm precious in his sight. I'm God's special treasure. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm more than a conqueror through him who loves me. I'm a disciple taught of the Lord. Great is my peace and my undisturbed composure. I am protected. No weapon formed against me will prosper. This is stuff you need to be getting in the heart and in the mouth of your children on a daily basis. We're looking at this as a family all the time. We'll sit around the breakfast table and look at it. My, our daughter Jessie will read it to the family in the car on the way to school. We get these confessions coming out of our hearts and out of our mouths. Why? Because these words are directing the course we take in this life. How many think it would be a good idea to get your kids talking this stuff Instead of talking defeat, instead of talking what they can't do, what they don't have, what they don't know, get them talking who they are in Jesus and who Jesus is in them. But our idea and concept of confession, whether it's one of these or whether it's the confession of Jesus as Lord being born again, I don't know that it's been totally complete. When Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the angels of God. I think our understanding of that has been like this, where a preacher stands on a platform at the end of a service and says, bow your heads and close your eyes. And if there's anybody in here who's not yet made Jesus the Lord of your life, raise your hand, allow us to pray with you. And I've said these things, and these are good things. And with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed, you hear the preacher say, Jesus said, if you would confess him before men, he would confess you before God and all the angels. So come to this altar today and confess before the men and women in this room that he is Lord and, and he'll be your Lord. And that is a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But Jesus, I think, makes more clear if you keep reading what exactly he was talking about. He said, if you confess me, I'll confess you. If you deny me, I'm going to deny you. We need to understand what these two words mean. To confess, of course, it means what you think, to say something, to say it out loud. The word literally means to say the same thing as. So to confess that Jesus is Lord, you are saying about Jesus what God has said about Jesus. You're saying the same thing about him that the word says about him, and that's where the power is to save you. 
But the word confess also literally means to covenant. I like to use this word. It means to claim. What did Jesus say? If you claim me, I'll claim you. If you claim me as your Lord, I'll claim you as brother, as sister, as a joint heir with me. To confess him is to claim him. And the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that we are to hold fast to our what? Our confession. Hold on to it. Why would you have to hold on to it? Now, again, people think, well, hold on to your confession. If you're sick and you feel sick, confess that you're healed and hold on to it. Yeah, absolutely. But, but anything you say and confess about your healing, your deliverance, your peace, your prosperity, all of it, listen to me, is rooted in this confession. Jesus is Lord. Christianity has been called the great confession. What's that a reference to? It is confessing Jesus is Lord, claiming Jesus. Then he said what? If you deny me, I'll deny you. You want to know what that word means? To disown. If you claim me, I'll claim you. If you deny me, I'll deny you. If you disown me, I have to disown you. If you look down just a couple of verses, I believe this is what he's talking about. Verse 11. When they bring you to the synagogue and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you're supposed to say. He's not just referring to the invitation to an altar from a preacher. What are you talking about? Getting hauled before the synagogue. Getting hauled before religious leaders. Getting hauled before political leaders. And he's talking about what comes out of your mouth then. Because it's one thing for me and you to sit up in this church, the Lord's house, right? Anybody in this place claim Jesus? Oh, I claim Jesus. He is my Lord. It's easy for me and you to shout up in this place, surrounded by a bunch of people who all think the same way and believe the same way and shouting about the same stuff. But he's talking about a slightly different setting than this one. He's talking about this world we live in. When they haul you up before people of influence, when they haul you before people who can make or break, so to speak, your life and the direction you take, people who can do something for you or something against you, what are you going to say then? What are you going to claim then? Because you can claim him here and now and praise God you should and I hope you do. But what about when you get outside this place? Will you still confess? Will you hold fast, cling to your confession? Because remember, it's this confession that puts you on the path to life. But there's pressure on this path. It's the pressure to get you off the path. It's the persecution that arises against you while you're on the path to get you to let go 
of that confession. And that's really all a symptom in your body is. It's pressure to get you to stop saying you're healed. To stop that confession. That's what sin is. It's pressure on the flesh to get you to stop saying I'm the righteousness of God. It's pressure to let go of the confession. Will you claim him or will you disown him? Can you see the, the difference between a, an environment, an atmosphere like this one or one out in the world? Let me give you a good example of this. Go to, uh, oh, thank you, Lord. You're here in Luke. Look at Luke chapter, chapter, oh, Lord, help me. Luke 22. Go to Luke 22 with me. I'm going to show you somebody who got this really wrong. And I'm going to show you the same person when they got it really right. Clinging to their confession. What confession? That Jesus is the Christ. In Luke chapter 22, we're going to come in here. Jesus is with his disciples. Um, if you pair it with other gospel accounts, they're at that last supper. And this is a great time of fellowship together. Disciples don't really know what's coming. Jesus does. And in verse 31 of Luke 22, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Verse 32, he said, the but... I've prayed for you. Man, that's good news. Jesus is telling Peter, I've prayed for you, man, that your faith should not fail. Or you could say it like this, that you'd be established in your faith. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Peter said to him, verse 33, said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you. The implication here is, man, it's you and me. We, we in this together. I'm right by your side. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And this is some big talk. And, and I have no reason to believe that he didn't mean it. He's passionate about this man. And the effect that this man has had on his life and how his eyes have come open and he's changed everything about him and the miracles that he's seen and the, the love that he's experienced. And, and he's telling Jesus, I, I, I'm your man. Where you go, I go. I'm going with you. You go to prison, I go to prison. I will be your cellmate. You dying, I'm dying. This is some big talk. But Jesus already told him, he said, look, Satan's asked for you and he's trying to sift you, trying to separate out of you. That's what sifting does, trying to get your faith out of you. But I've prayed for you that your faith will stand, that you'll be established in it. And when you return to me, this is prophetic. In other words, you are leaving me. But when you come back, you'll be strengthening other people. But Peter, you know, I'm not leaving you. I'm with you, me and you, Jesus. I'll die with you. I'll go to prison with you if I have to. But Jesus said to him in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times or deny 
three times that you know me. What does deny mean? Disown. Peter, you're going to disown me. You're going to deny that you even knew me. This big talk, you've claimed me. Claimed me as your Lord. And Peter's the one that said, you're the Christ. The son of the living God. I'm claiming you. And Jesus is saying to him, in just a few hours, you're going to disown me. And of course, he had a hard time understanding this. But from that moment forward, things began to unfold in a way that made no sense to him. Because it was in the garden that the soldiers came and they began to take Jesus. And here's where you see Peter's devotion to him. Peter's packing heat. He draws his blade, strikes that guy on the ear, cuts his ear off. And instead of Jesus saying, go Peter, what's he say? Stop. Let it happen. This is so confusing to Peter. I'll tell you what really made it worse is when Jesus healed the guy who just got his ear cut off. What are you doing healing people that are here to arrest you? I want you to see what happens. The moment Peter is confused and understand, doesn't understand what's going on, it says in verse 54 of chapter 22, having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house, but Peter followed at a distance. What happened to, I'm with you? What happened to, I go where you go? You go to prison, I go to prison. You die, I die. This all just became very real. It says, when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them and a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him. She keeps looking over at him. This girl keeps looking over at Peter. You ever had anybody think they recognize you, but they're not sure? They just sort of keep looking over at you, staring at you. It's like, I know you, don't I? And she looks at him and she's like, I know you. Hold on. You're one of them. You were with him. And what did Peter say? What did he say? When she said this man was also with him, he, verse 57, denied, disowned. Quit confessing. Quit claiming Jesus. Denied him saying, woman, I don't know him. Can you hear it in his voice? Woman, what are you looking at? Quit staring at me. Quit looking over here. No, no, no. I know you. You're you're with him. No, I don't know him. And you know what happened. Verse 58. After a little while, another saw him and said, you're also of them. You're one of them. You're one of them. Trying to associate Peter with them. You're one of them. Peter said, man, versus woman, now it's man, I'm not, leave me alone, I'm not one of them, I don't know them, I don't know him, I'm not with them. And this interesting? I don't think I'd really seen this still standing here right now. Not only did he deny Jesus, but they accused him of being one of them. He not only disowned Jesus, but all the rest of them. 
that Jesus had connected him with. He quit claiming Jesus, but he also quit claiming John. He quit claiming Andrew. Right on down the line through all the disciples in a moment. I don't know them. I'm not with them. It says in verse 59, then after about an hour had passed, another confidently affirmed saying, surely this fellow also was with him for he's a Galilean. And Peter said, man, I don't know what you're saying. Other gospel accounts reveal that Peter starts cussing, starts swearing up and down. I don't know him. I'm not with them. I don't know what you're talking about. And three times he disowned Jesus. And as soon as he disowned him that third time, the prophecy from like a few hours ago came to pass. The rooster crowed. Peter remembered the words of Jesus and it broke his heart. If you confess me before men, what's going to happen? I'll confess you. Before the Father, I'll confess you. I'll claim you before God and all the angels if you confess me. We're blessed to live in a country where perhaps persecution against the gospel isn't what it is in other places around the world. But don't don't be fooled. There is a firing squad here in the United States. It's called Twitter. It's called Facebook. It's called social media. College campuses around this country have become some of the most hostile environments to a born-again believer. It has become very unfashionable to associate and claim Jesus as your Lord. Have you noticed what happens It's this tactic, and I don't know if it's been in the world for centuries or if this is something that's relatively new, but it's this tactic to immediately, when you identify with something, to associate you, and all we got to do is slap a bunch of labels on you that sound bad to try to pressure you and talk you into disassociating with whatever it is you you claimed. Am I, I'm just kind of a word salad, sorry about that, but you understand what I'm saying, right? You notice this? Are you, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a believer. You fascist. You racist. You homophobic, transphobic. Wait a second. I claim Jesus and now I'm afraid of gay people? I'm afraid of a, of a transgender person? That's what the words mean. Homophobic, transphobic. Oh, you're just afraid. You claim Jesus. I claim Jesus. You Nazi. Come on. Is anybody else watching the news? This is what's happening. What's this about? It's pressure. It's pressure to try to get you to disown. And it's happening. It's happening to young people. When they go off to university, they're met with pressure. And these college campuses have become these hostile environments. Hostile to the gospel. Hostile to Christianity. You're born again believer. That doesn't mean there's hate in your heart for a gay person, a trans person. It doesn't mean there's hate in you. Don't let somebody label you with something that is not true. It's not true. All of it is an effort to get you to stop 
confessing. Stop claiming Jesus. And it ain't just colleges. From the locker room to the boardroom. These are all environments where it has become very unfashionable to be a believer, to be a Christian, to hold to Judeo-Christian values, to walk according to the word of God. And every ounce of it is pressure, pressure, pressure to get you off this path that leads to life, on this path that leads to death, to get you to stop confessing, stop claiming Christ. What will you do? Because if you will confess him before men, he will confess you before God. And listen to me, church. Listen to me, family. On that day, you will not care who claimed you on this earth. You will not care who you were accepted by on this earth. You will not give one ounce of effort or energy or care whatsoever to somebody on your college campus who didn't, who didn't like you when you claimed Christ, but who all of a sudden accepted. You will not care about any of that. You will care about one thing. Does Jesus claim me? And if you claim him on this earth, let me tell you something. You will be oh so happy that you did. You will be so happy that you confessed him and claimed him and held fast. You clung to your confession. You held on to it with a grip that Satan could not get that confession out of your hand. He could not get that confession out of your mouth. Huh? You claimed him. What about if it makes the difference between whether you get the job or not? Huh? What about when the person interviewing wants to know your religious convictions and all of a sudden you're faced with the decision, do I claim him, do I not? Oh, it's such a good paying job, man. This is, this is just the job and the place and the position I've wanted. What do you do in that moment when, when it means whether you get the job or you don't? You think, well, it's illegal according to the bylaws of the, you cannot ask about religious, I don't care, it's happening. What about if it means whether or not you get the house, huh? You found a great house here in town, oh, it's just what I wanted, and the seller's all ready to, to give you the price you offered until they find out what church you go to. It's happening. I don't want nothing to do with that. People are already talking. Somebody told me they, there was a neighborhood forum that they were on in their neighborhood. And there were some people on there talking bad about a ministry in town. And some guy gets on there and says, now listen, that's a good ministry. We don't need to say bad things about them. But that legacy church. And this guy starts ripping in on legacy church. What do you do then? Hey, you're one of them. Well, I mean, we've been a time or two, but... Uh, I was, uh, one of them, I don't, I wouldn't say <laughs> claim or disown. You claim Jesus or disown him. Claim the people he's put you with or disown them. Hmm? I'm one of them. I'm one of them and I don't care what it costs me. He's my Lord and I don't care. I don't care what it costs me. I'm telling you this, not because only of the current climate we live in, but because of what's coming. Make no mistake about it. Do not be naive. There is coming a day where claiming Jesus is going to cost you money. It's going to cost you a deal. It's going to cost you a house. It's going to cost you a place, a position, a possession. And you're going to be forced with a decision to make. Is he mine or do I disown him? And I'll say it again. When you see him face to face. 
you will be so glad you claimed him. And it will not matter to you at all who on this earth claimed you or didn't claim you. Amen. What did Jesus tell Peter? I prayed for you, bro. I prayed for you. Now he told him, this is what's happening. This is what's coming. But I've prayed for you. Do you want to see what I believe is the answer to Jesus' prayer? Watch this. Acts chapter 4. And we'll wrap it up with this. Go there with me. Acts chapter 4. Of course, you know what happened on Acts chapter 2. Peter and all the disciples, 120 of them, in that upper room. And there came a sound from heaven. As of a rushing mighty wind, it filled that house. They all began to speak with other tongues. They went stumbling drunk out of that upper room. And it caused such a ruckus and, and drew such a crowd that people began to hear. People in, who spoke other languages heard their own language being spoken. And that day, Peter preached and 3,000 were born again. 3,000 were added to the church. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are walking into the temple. And there's a lame man laid there at the gate. And Peter looks at him and says, silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. And he grabs that man by the hand, yanks him up, strength hit that guy. His feet and ankle bones received strength. He went walking, leaping, and praising God. And again, it draws such a crowd. People gather around and Peter starts preaching. And then you get to chapter four. It says in verse five, it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had seen them in the midst, they asked, by what power, by what name have you done this? Here's an opportunity to either claim or disown. And what does Peter say? I disowned him once before. I ain't doing it again. By what name, by what power have you done this? Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to all y'all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, just so we're not mistaken and we're not thinking of a different Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I'm talking about the one you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He could have just said Jesus. Where'd you, whose name you doing this in? What power? He goes, well, it's uh, Jesus. But what did he say? All that. What's he doing? Claiming him. Confessing him. Now look what happened. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter. You know what boldness means? Look it up. Unreservedness of speech. Do your words have any bearing on the direction your life is going in. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. Does anybody realize that about you? Do they realize that about me? 
These guys are uneducated. They're untrained. What does that mean? Their boldness is not coming out of something natural. Their boldness is not coming because they got a degree hanging on the wall from the college these guys went to. That's not where their boldness is sourced. Their boldness comes from the fact they've been with Jesus. Now it goes on to say, seeing the men in verse 14, seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. Verse 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, here's our plan. Let us severely threaten them. That from now on, they do what? Speak to no man. Let's threaten them so that they stop talking. Let's threaten them to shut down this confession. Can you see that? Let's threaten them. Now, it's not clear here on what they threaten them with, but these are the same people that just nailed Jesus to a cross. They will put a hit out on you and not even blink twice. They could threaten them financially, they could threaten them physically, they could threaten them with their their life and whole existence. And they threaten them and they say, "If you don't want us to do all this to you, just stop talking. Stop confessing." Let us threaten them, severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Stop claiming Jesus. And they threatened them. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God you judge. Verse 20. You ready for this? Come on. You have to stand up for this. Come on, church. Get up right now. Come on. Listen to this. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than we listen to him, you judge. Verse 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. I disowned him once. I ain't doing it again. I I stopped claiming him once. I denied him then. It broke my heart, but I'm not doing it again. Now and forever. Threaten me all you want. Threaten me with my life. Threaten me. Take away my money. Take away my job. Take away my house. You can have it all. I can't help but talk. I cannot help but speak the things that I've seen, the things that I've heard. You can't make me stop claiming him. Sorry, (laughs) it's just not going to happen. The things that we've seen, the things that we've heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. Verse 23, and being let go, they went to their own companions. That's where you're at right now, to your own company. 
They reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. They told them all the threats. They said, look, they're going to beat us if we keep preaching Jesus. They're going to take away our houses. They're going to take away our land. They're going to take away our money. They're going to freeze our accounts. They are going to, they've threatened us with our lives if we keep preaching in this name, if we keep healing in this name. And so, you know, in light of that, verse 24, when they heard it, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God. Why don't you say it right now? Lord, you are God. You are the one who made heaven and earth. You are the one who made the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly, verse 27, against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Verse 29, now Lord... Look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak. Look at what they threatened. Now, if they threatened you, what would your prayer be? Lord, look on their threats and kill them. I mean it, Lord, just kill them. Send laborers across their paths to break their knees. Send, send I'm calling fire down on Washington, D.C. You've heard their threats against your church. I'm asking you, Lord, just take them out. Just kill them, kill them, kill them all. That's not what they prayed for. Lord, you heard their threats. Give us boldness. Oh, come on. This is what you pray. Folks, this is what we pray in this world we're living in right now. Father, you heard, you heard what my supervisor said to me the other day, that if I, if I leave my Bible on my desk, um, they're going to take my job away. You heard what they said to me the other day. I can't, I can't read my Bible on my lunch break, and, and, and I'm not willing to, to quit that, Lord. So I'm asking, give me boldness. They, they said the other day, Lord, I, I, can't, I can't say anything about my faith or my religion. And, 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 and I'm asking you, Lord, you heard their threat. You heard they're going to take away my job. Father, this, this job is my paycheck. And I'm asking you, give me some boldness. What is that? That I might keep talking. I'm not talking about shoving Jesus down people's throats. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about getting your freedom of speech from somewhere other than the U.S. government. It's got to come as a gift from heaven. Give them boldness that they might speak your word. And here's where the boldness comes from. Verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Let's put that prayer on the screen. Verse 29. I want you just to say it after me. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness. Come on, say it again. That with all boldness, that with freedom of speech, say it, church, with freedom of speech, we may speak your word. We're asking for boldness, Lord. When you're asking for boldness, you don't have to say it bolder than that, church. Come on. We're asking for boldness, Lord. 
Freedom of speech. To confess. To claim. Jesus is our Lord. We claim him before men. And you claim us in heaven before all the angels. We are not willing to disown Jesus. We don't care what the pressure is, where the pressure comes from. We confess Jesus is Lord. Now listen, listen to this. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke. Do your words have any impact on the direction your life is taken? They do. You are either on life road or death road. And your words have put you there. This is our prayer today, church. Amen. This is our prayer today. Come on, bow your heads with me. <laughs> Let me pray that prayer I prayed earlier in this service. If there's anybody in this place today that's never confessed Jesus as the Lord of your life, today's the day of your salvation. Today's the day where you get your life on the road that leads to life. You get off this road that leads to death and destruction. And you get on the path that leads to life. If you've never claimed him before other people, today do it. He died for you in front of people. You can claim him in front of people. Is there anybody all, at all that would raise a hand and say, I've never been born again. I've never claimed Jesus as the Lord of my life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Well, let's just say it out loud all together again. Father in heaven, we believe in our hearts. You raised Jesus from the dead. We confess with, we confess with our mouths the Lord Jesus, and we are saved. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Take our lives, Lord Jesus. Do something with them. And fill me, I pray, with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Altar ministers, would you come to the front, please, this morning? Before you leave today, if there's anybody who needs prayer for anything, and I mean anything, you want somebody to stand in agreement with you on the Word of God, find the promise from His Word for whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is you're facing, don't leave today without getting the prayer of agreement that you need. Church, we, are, we love you. We're standing with you. Did you get anything good out of this today? Listen to me. I hope it stirs you up. I hope you get excited about it. But also let it serve as a warning. This is something I wasn't expecting to come out of this series that we're in, where we keep coming back face to face with the pressure and the persecution that's out there in this world that's waiting on us. But what happens when the God of all grace goes to work after you have suffered persecution? He can do what? perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You've got what it takes, church. 
I said, you've got what it takes. You've got the spiritual guts. You've got the spiritual resolve on the inside of you to go out into this world and stand strong with your house built firm on a firm foundation. Glory to God established in your faith. And we're declaring the word over you this week. We call you blessed in everything that you do and everything that your hand is set to do. We believe you prosper. And we believe that by his grace, by his help, and by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, all this week you will be in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people in Jesus' name. Amen. You believe it? Well, give the Lord one more shout of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We love you. We bless you. They're going to sing. You can be dismissed. We'll see you next Sunday. Bless you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.